God is good. I turn your attention this morning to Hebrews chapter 11, and I'd like to begin reading verse 8. I've been uh, sort of uh, teaching a series on these verses that uh, just have jumped out in my own heart and mind as we have uh, been studying with our, our own children, and this uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is, is the last chapter that the intermediate team was memorizing. Uh, the experienced team, the older young people, to memorize um, over 500 verses. I mean, word for word now. You can't even miss an an or an of or put an s, make something plural that's not plural. And it's very specific. And uh, our intermediate team, I think, memorized uh, somewhere close to 400 verses. So I'm so proud of all of the effort and the work that goes into this. And when you put the Word of God in your mind and in your heart, that's what the real trophy is. And these young people are the real trophies. This metal and plastic and all that is just, this is just a ministry that's a vehicle for us to plant the Word of God into the hearts and minds of the next generation. That's what it's all about. And um, so in these verses, as we were studying them recently, this jumped out at me. I want to read it to you. Hebrews 11, 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. And the thing that jumped out at me in reading this or listening to my boys quote this verse in recent weeks is that he looked for a city that had foundations. There was more than one. It wasn't just a single foundation. It was multiple layers. Wednesday night we talked about the the foundation of our faith and tonight I want to, or this morning, I want to talk about the foundation of our future the foundation of our future. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. I shared with the church on Wednesday night that a number of years ago when I was in um, Oslo, Norway, I had an opportunity to go to the, uh, the Viking ship hall. And in there they have these Viking ships that they have excavated uh, up out of this mud and dirt and clay uh, that's a part of the banks of the rivers and fjords that go through Norway. And apparently there's a certain kind of mineral that's in this mud, whatever it is, that allowed these ships uh, to be preserved for, for many, uh, many years. And um, the wood did not, uh, it did deteriorate, but it didn't decay to the place where it uh, disintegrated. And um, because of these mud packs and the way that the soil is there that preserved it. And so in the early 1900s, they started uh, excavating these ships uh, up out of the ground and they started finding something that was very unique and that is that when people in that age and that Viking age would die they didn't know what was in the afterlife they didn't know what the future was and so many of them would bury uh, their uh, their loved ones in a ship in the ground in other words we recognize that there's a journey beyond this life we don't know what it is but certainly they're going to need a boat because that's the only way they would got around in those days especially when you lived in northern europe so there was this feeling that they needed a boat but not only that they would have um pieces of furniture they found sleighs and kitchen utensils and possessions and and even smaller lifeboats that they put uh, with these individuals when they died and they literally put them down in the ground and now they've been able to uh, excavate a lot of those ships and they have put them up in this museum and as I I walked around that that Viking ship museum I was amazed 
to learn that these people were seeking an answer, a solution as to what was exactly the journey uh, in the afterlife. They didn't know what was going to happen after death, but they believed it would require some items that they were already familiar with. And that, that type of pres- uh, preparation for the afterlife is, is not just for Norway. We see that was similar in the pyramids in Egypt. People of wealth and means prepared for the journey beyond death by being buried with all their possessions. And, and now as we look back and we have the luxury of looking back in time, it's obvious that, that these costly artifacts did not assist the dead. In fact, we understand that wealth and ships and kitchen utensils and slaves, they're not necessary for the journey that is beyond. But the fact remains for us today, ladies and gentlemen, in the 21st century that we should never stop asking the question, what is on the other side and how do we prepare for it? It's interesting in our text to note that Abraham looked for a city that had foundations. And the only way that you can really know what these different foundations are is that I believe you have to look to the one that transcends all of time and age. And that, of course, we know is our creator. And as we look forward and try to even now get our arms around what the future holds, because even today, we still in our humanity, and this is not something that has been a mystery just to one or two different dispensations of time, but ever since humanity has been created, they have wondered what happens after death. In fact, there has always been that uncertainty, and yet we are also adamant about it, which is very much a paradox. But this is something that we must understand understand and as Christians we all recognize that we share Abraham's view we are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God we are recognizing that wealth will not save us that position and prosperity and influence in this life is not going to be what prepares us for the afterlife the only relationship that's going to matter is the one that you and I have with our creator so we are looking for a city that has foundations, multiple layers, whose builder and maker is God. And the way that we find that future is to look into our past. In the book of Genesis, God gave a promise to Abraham that he'd be the father of many nations. He said, I'm establishing it as an everlasting covenant. In Genesis 9, in verse 16, chapter 9, verse 16, he made a covenant with Noah and his family as they were surviving the flood and had come out of that. And the earth had been destroyed by water, but he made a, the Bible says, an everlasting covenant that he would never destroy the earth again by water. And then in Isaiah 45, 17, we read that he makes a covenant or a contract agreement with all of humanity, that there would be an everlasting salvation. And this is something, ladies and gentlemen, that continues for us today. It is an everlasting salvation. So before we can get our arms around our future, we have to look to our past and recognize that we are serving a God. That when he makes a contractual agreement, when he enters into covenant with humanity, it is not with the statute of limitations. It is not with any limiting ability of man to stop or to cease from that contract to be in existence. But ladies and gentlemen, it continues for every generation. It was good for my father and my father's father, and it's good for my sons and my son's next generation. This is a promise that is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off. He 
people say, how can you know that God is going to fill you with the Spirit of God? Because we read it in the book of Acts. How do you know that's for us today? Because a lot of people will say, well, I believe people in the Bible spoken tongues. I believe people in the Bible got the Holy Ghost. I believe people in the Bible had that relationship. But it's not for you and I today. It has ceased. That's a lie. I've had people ask me, do you know anybody that's received the Holy Ghost? Yes, I do. Who? Me. <laughs> Did you speak in tongues? Yes. Do you know anyone else? Yes. Where are they? All over the world. Millions of people. <laughs> How do you know that? For the promise, the contract, the covenant, the agreement. What agreement? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy ghost that's a covenant that's a contract that's everlasting salvation what it took to be saved in the book of acts is what it takes in 2018 and if the lord tarries it's what it'll take to be saved in 2088 how do you know next verse for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. You are a long ways off. <laughs> Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. He didn't put any limitations on this. You say, well, why is that such a big deal? Because everything man does has limitations. Because we all know we have a certain time on this earth and we got a shelf life and everything's a ticking and and so we have all these different laws there's a law in property rights called the rule against perpetuities and it it is just one of those archaic laws that you you just if you want to make an attorney sweat just say can you explain to me the rule against perpetuities because it's just one of those things that you have to get through in law school but nobody really looks forward to it and what the rule against perpetuities means that it basically means when we're dealing with real estate property, now property rights, not personal property, but property rights in terms of real property, which is real estate, which is land. The rule against perpetuities basically means that future interests that give endless perpetual ownership rights has limits. So when you buy property or property is given to you by inheritance or a gift, you can get not only a future interest, but a present interest. And this is what maybe is not always easy to understand because when you buy a piece of property nowadays, you usually get a fee simple uh, uh, contract, which means it's a bundle of rights that gives you the right to present interest and future interest, meaning that you can enjoy it now and you can also decide what you want to do with it in the future. You give it to your kids or you can sell it or whatever because you have present interest and future interest, but not everything passes that way. Sometimes you get a present interest, A to B, for as long as B shall live, and then to C. B has a life estate, C has a future interest. Everybody get that? <laughs> so the rule against perpetuities comes in and says, but we want to limit this future interest because they could be endless. And so they put in this rule, the rule against perpetuities, that says no contingent interest or some future interest that is contingent upon something happening over here to trigger it, whether it be, whether it be B dies or whether it be C becomes 21 years old, there's a contingency to it. So the rule against perpetuity says the future interest is going to have a limitation. And it must vest, or the interest that's moving from A to B to C has to vest or be triggered by a time frame that 
that is no greater than 21 years after some life in being at the creation of the interest. Did you get that? <laughs> so, if I'm wanting to uh, give a piece of property to Sister uh, Lisa tomorrow, and then I want to give a future interest to her daughter Stephanie, okay, I've got to measure how long it's going to take for that to go over. So I have to take a life in being. So it's whoever you want to pick. I'm going to pick Brother Richie, his life in being. So that means as long as he's alive and 21 years after he dies, that future interest can be in Stephanie's name. But at that point, it's going to have to trigger. And the reason they use that as a marker is because the life in being means that runs the life of the present interest. And the 21 years this is the 21 years of what they consider to be an adult. So 21 years after the life in being, not the creation of the interest, but the life in being that's measuring that because that's when the present interest is going to run. So the future interest has to vest within 21 years of the death of the life in being when the interest was made. This is why lawyers hate the rule against perpetuities. But it's man's attempt to put a limitation on a future interest. But man does not control God. And God does not have a rule against perpetuities. God says it's for you and your children and your children's children and as many as the Lord our God shall call because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Woo! Hallelujah! That's God's law. God says this is the way it is and this is the way it always will be. He's going to be praised forever. God's always going to be praised. You said, you know what? I'm going to church today, but they ought to just be happy. I'm getting there. I'm not planning on doing any more praising. I'm just showing up. And I'm barely going to do that. Guess what? God's still going to have a praise. If all of us quit praising God, he's got a praise coming up out of the ground. Because <laughs> it's forever. It says his mercy endureth forever. See, we think as soon as we mess up, God's going to remove his mercy. You know why? Because we run through everything in our own mind. What we think God's going to do, we run it through the paradigm of what we were going to do. But his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and he is not limited. There is no limit to God. And God has endless mercy. It's an amazing thing. So Abraham starts out with this foundation that the covenant that he has with God is forever. And the power that God's word has, that is one of staying power, that it will keep you. Why are you putting the word of God into the next generation through this ministry with all of its challenges and frustrations? Why? Because we believe that the word will not return void. That when the word goes into the next generation, it is the foundation for the future. Because we have the luxury of looking back and seeing how it has kept us for thousands and thousands of years. And now it propels us into the future. So God says, this agreement that I'm making is an everlasting covenant. Now, if God's going to make an agreement with us and we believe that there ought to be mutual consent, he makes an agreement with, one, with us that's everlasting. 
I believe that you and I have to also make an agreement with God that we are not going to float or drift with the seasons of change. We are going to lock it in and say, God, I'm not going to wake up every day and try to decide whether or not I'm going to serve you. I'm making up in my mind, as long as I got breath in these lungs, I'm going to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. As long as those doors are open, you can count on me, Pastor. I'm going to be in church. I may have some good days, bad days. My spouse may leave me. My kids may backslide. But I'm going to bless the Lord on my soul. I may be told next week I got cancer. But until they bury me in the ground, I'm making up my mind. I'm going to serve God. If I'm the last man standing, I'm going to bless the Lord with all of my heart. David said, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. He wasn't saying his heart was under repair. He was saying his heart was steadfast. It was committed. It was established. In this world, everything is temporary, but God has established salvation as a fixed point. So we have to start with this understanding that the covenant that God has with humanity is for us, and it's not just for us, but it's for all of the generations that will follow us. We start out knowing this, but then we mess up in life and we think that God has excluded us from his plans. What we don't understand is that God has already made provision for your mess-ups. Bishop was talking about it today in the adult class. God created this perfect environment for us, but when he gave us free will, ah, he said, I better put a redemption plan in place. So it was created from the very beginning. (laughs) I'm going to make a path for them to get back to the covenant agreement. You say, well, I don't know about all that. Well, let's read Leviticus 25, 23. You got a couple of minutes this morning? All right, Leviticus 25, 23. The land, see, we're dealing with real property. The land shall not be sold forever. For the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. The land is his. That's why they're still fighting over that land in Israel, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's mine, the Lord said, forever. You're just strangers and sojourners. You get to occupy it and lease it and have a present interest, but it belongs to me. And I'll just go ahead and say this for what it's worth. God can keep it and protect it with or without man. Woo! And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant a redemption for the land. For thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold it some of his possession. If any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he be redeemed that which his brother sold. And if the man have none to redeem it, himself be able to redeem it, then let him count the years of the sale thereof and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it, that he may return into his possession. But if he be not able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that hath bought it until the year of jubilee, and in the jubilee it shall go out, and he shall return unto his possession. Now that sounds like a good property law question right there, doesn't it? It all goes back to the word he says basically let me summarize all of that i own the land i'm letting you guys have it but if you lose it i'm setting up a path where you can get it back again now this don't excite y'all because y'all just been holy your whole life but for some of us it's an exciting thing to know that god gives second chances Now, if y'all could just take your halo off for a minute, you'll be able to rejoice with me that God's not going to just judge you on the mistakes of your youth. God is going to make a way for you to get back in his presence, back in his mercy, back in his love. (laughs) 
So suffice it to say this, and I'm hurrying, that if you come on hard times and you sell the land, there's two ways you can get it back. You can redeem it or the year of Jubilee. That's how you get it back. So let's talk first of all about redemption. Redemption is the act of redeeming. Redeeming means to free from a lien by a payment of an amount secured thereby, to free from captivity by payment of ransom. So when something is redeemed, it indicates prior ownership, not initial ownership. Let me just let that sink in for a moment. Redemption is based on prior ownership, not initial ownership. If I go into Walmart and buy something, I buy it, I purchase it, I take it home. But if I don't have all that it takes, I got to put it on layaway. And they hold it for me. And when I get enough money, I go back and I redeem it. Which meant I had an interest in it before, an interest to exclude others from buying it. But that interest didn't vest yet because I didn't have enough to complete the sale. Oh, God help us. You would say, well, I'm going to live like I want to. You don't understand this. You don't even belong to yourself. The Bible said the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What do you think the fullness thereof is? I'll break it down for you. It's everything on this earth that's breathing his air. Well, I can do whatever I want to with my own body. You can't do anything. You ought to be lucky you're alive. It's only the grace of God that you're still sucking air this morning. I don't understand people that get arrogant because you got money or fame or popularity and you can thumb your nose at God. He can take your breath in an instant. Every day you live, you ought to get up and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for another day. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. God Almighty. I'm hurrying. In the Old Testament, the Lord said, this land is mine forever, period. Period. If times get bad and you have to sell it, I'm establishing a law where you can get it back. So when Jesus went to the cross and became the sacrifice for the sins of humanity, he did not purchase your salvation in terms of an initial investment. He redeemed what belonged to him in the first place. This is why the devil wants to take your life. Because he wants to stop every sense of praise going up to God. So if he can't stop you from praising God, he's going to try to take your life. But here's something you got to understand. If he's not going to do that, he's going to try to get you to praise something else in this life. Hollywood or sports or whatever. To stop you from praising God. Because as long as you're alive, you got the opportunity to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. You are my creator. I thank you, Lord, that you not only saved me, but you redeemed me. You didn't just create me, Lord, and give me life. See, when God first gave you life, he gave you that gift of life. But sin comes in and kidnaps us and holds us. Jesus comes in and pays the ransom note and redeems us unto himself. And he redeems us to what 
we were supposed to be. This is why when you are living right according to biblical principles and you are acknowledging that Jesus Christ has redeemed you, that is when you live a life of fulfillment and contentment. And the planets just all kind of align. Until you do that, you're always frustrated. You're always, as, as the Bible says with Paul, kicking against the pricks, always trying to find a way. And it's just always something that's unsettled in our spirit. But when you say, God, I've made a mess of things of my own, but I'm coming to this altar this morning. I'm asking you to redeem me and to forgive me of all of my sins and all of my mistakes. And the Lord not only purchased you, but now he redeems you. And you and I get out of hawk. We get out of layaway. We get to go home with who we belong to in the first place. We get to take Jesus home with us. He's our Lord and our Savior. He's everything that I need. He was my creator and he's my redeemer. So you need to say that. The enemy comes in and tells you your kids will never be saved. You need to tell them, you don't own my kids. God does. Good God Almighty. He gave them to me to start with, and he's going to redeem them because he's got the first interest in them. Good Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost. I get excited with all these children up here singing because I I realize the future of God's promises are secure because when I look back, I see that God is faithful to every generation. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. I got more. They will talk more about this tonight. But here's the second aspect. He said, if you can't redeem it, if you don't have a relative or a kinsman redeemer, somebody that can redeem it, you've fallen on hard times. You can't pay your bills. You don't have any friends, got any money. Nobody can redeem the land and hold it for you. Then he said this, just keep on living. Because there's coming a jubilee. And in the year of jubilee, Everything goes back to its rightful owner. (laughs) You don't have to have no money. You don't have to have no connections. All you got to do is just keep on living. Keep on putting one foot in front of the other. I will bless the Lord at all times. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know one thing. God's going to return everything that the devil tried to steal from me. So I'm going to just keep on worshiping God. Because Jubilee's coming. There's coming a day when nobody is going to deny what God has promised me in my spirit years ago. It's going to vest. It's going to become a present interest. Stand to your feet. It was not by accident that they celebrated the Feast of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover. Passover represented that time when the blood that was applied to the doorpost of the house as they were coming, to, coming out of Egypt. And the death angel passed over those houses. That's why they celebrate Passover. And they celebrate Passover as him redeeming them. But then 50 days after Passover, they celebrated Pentecost. Pente, that even actually means 50. Pentecost. Because the Bible says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, I mean, they'd celebrated for days. But like we would the 4th of July or 
Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, though there may be a season of celebration, there's the day of it. Well, for them, it was the day of Pentecost. And the Bible says in Acts 2 that when the Lord was to give this promise of his Holy Spirit, it says when the day of Pentecost was fully come. That was not by accident. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one mind and one accord. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was, my friend, the Jubilee. It was God pouring out His Spirit to humanity. Ladies and gentlemen, that has not stopped from that day until now. And it won't stop until Jesus comes. Governments have tried to shut it down. Religions have tried to shut it down. But you can't stop an everlasting covenant from the Creator. It's the Jubilee. So they would celebrate that. And when the Spirit was poured out on that day, it was God saying, I'm going to get it all back. If you felt like you've been disenfranchised, if you felt like sin has isolated you from the presence of God, God says through the outpouring of His Spirit, this is an everlasting salvation, and it's for whosoever will. Regardless of your past, your mistakes, who your parents were, everything that would try to cause us to be distanced from the love of God and the mercy of God, all of it is null and void because of the Jubilee. He not only redeemed us, He not only established an everlasting agreement, then He gave us this Jubilee. And we receive that Jubilee through the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So that you and I, ladies and gentlemen, every day of our life, we can have a Jubilee. It doesn't matter what may be taken from you. Standing in this building today, you can lift your hands and begin to worship God. And that same God will give you a personal jubilee of restoration. And you can know Him for yourself. And this is the awesome thing about God. I told the early services, this is the awesome thing about the God that you and I serve. He's a God that has moral authority because He plays within the rules of His own nature. You would say He's God. He can do whatever He wants to do. But He establishes laws and principles and and yet then He abides within those laws so that your salvation has moral authority to it. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. God. And the God that you and I serve always gives evidence of his covenant agreement. That's why there's that rainbow out there in the sky to remind you, he's a God that keeps his word. He always 
always gives evidence because in contract law, it's got to be evident. It's got to have two witnesses. It's got to be notarized. There's got to be evidence, consideration, and all these things that are a part of the construction of a contract. Why? So that it's evidenced. God doesn't ask you to just believe in some sort of a mystical Milky Way being. He's an ever-present help in a time of need. He's a God that you can feel and know. No, we don't know what happens beyond this life, but we've got a foundation for our future because we know the one who holds the future in his hand. And we know that he is a God that keeps his word and he gives us evidence so that every day I can lay my head down on a pillow and I don't have to worry about my future because I serve a God that's given me evidence of his presence, evidence of his power. I don't know what you may be praying for in your life. Maybe you need to receive the Holy Ghost this morning or... Maybe it's something to do in your own family or your own physical condition, but I believe that God is wanting to give each of you today evidence of a God who's not just preparing a future interest for us, but he has a present interest for us. He wants you to know him for yourself. And whether you want to stand in your pew and pray or whether you're would like to come down to the front around this altar. I'm going to leave that up to you this morning. But here's what I want everybody in this building to pray for. Would you pray that God would give you evidence today in this week? Evidence, tangible evidence that he is at work in your life and that he has heard every prayer that you have prayed. Not one of them has been in vain, but God is working And he's going to move that from a spiritual realm to a natural realm so that you and I can know for ourselves that our God is a real God. (laughs) That he is a God that's been working in ways that you haven't seen or even known. But God's going to give you evidence of that today so that you can know that the journey that you and I are on is a journey that's not in vain. It's got a foundation. It's got a foundation. It's got a foundation that's unshakable. That's unmovable. And it's built on his word. Would you lift your hands now all over this building? Mercy is forever. Jesus! Bye.